You thought that you could have it all And life could be a ball But you fell and scabbed your knee Now you can be Welcome to the Recovering CEO Podcast. Uh, today, this is our first guest interview. We are interviewing someone who has a lot of experience, strength, and hope. Uh, my friend, Kevin in Missouri. How are you doing today, Kevin? Great, Derek. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course, man. Wonderful. Um, so tell me, I'm, I'm curious, how would you define a sexaholic or a sex addict? And do you consider yourself one? Oh, it's a good question. Take a sex addict as somebody who has sexual compulsive behaviors that they cannot stop. And that could range from anything from acting out with other people to compulsive masturbation to watching a pornography. Um, it can be a whole range of things, but it, it's sexual behaviors is the way I look at it that I, I can't uh, control and that I can't um, indulge in without uh, going pretty crazy. And um, yes, I definitely qualify for that definition. Okay. Well, thank you for your honesty. And I think, you know, as you know, uh, I'm doing the Recovering CEO podcast because I feel like there's a lot of people out there that may be suffering from sex addiction. No one ever wants to talk about it. Um, it's kind of the secret thing and uh, causes a lot of problems. So by sharing your experience, you're definitely helping someone out there. So, um, so tell us a little bit, Kevin, uh, how did your sex addiction start? Uh, what was the first catalyst you can remember? Well, I think there's a whole combination of things from array of things that, uh, from my own, uh, experience, I grew up in a very, um, uh, loving home, a very, uh, very restrictive home. A lot of no, you can't do's, um, my family comes from a very religious background. My father was in was in the ministry, and um, that, that's all good things, you know. That's good things that um, have you do. But just like any other uh, kid, I I kind of discovered masturbation. But <clears throat> then the catalyst was um, I had a, a family friend that was uh, ten years older than me that uh, introduced me to <clears throat> uh, kind of took advantage of me as a young a youngster as a teenager. In an early teen. And um, uh, it was one of those things that, you know, you had to keep the secret. You, you couldn't say those things. You couldn't bring it on. And uh, uh, just typical um, uh, sexual abuse type of things. It's people that you know generally. It's not some stranger that comes to pick you up off the corner. And uh, I affectionately, I call that individual my... Um, uh, my sex sponsor, for lack of a better word. And they taught me how to be uh, an extremely good sex addict and how to hide things um, with that relationship. They, uh, they taught me to how to, find, how to find my sexual relations, how to, how to find my sexual exploits, how to hide it, how to stay safe. Um, and uh, it just blossomed uh, for the mere fact from 
being able to be in uh, multiple partners. Uh, before I got into recovery, I was averaging a new partner a week um, for three years because I was so scared um, that I was going to come down with something and take it to my family. Uh, I was keeping track, so I know when it occurred and when it happened. And that's not counting repeat customers. That was new customers that I was doing for about the last three years. So I was keeping a, a diary, uh, so to speak, what we did, et cetera. And uh, um, that individual was still in my life. And not that we were still having sex, but um, I'd have to report to him and, and talk to him. And, and I... <laughs> It, it was not, it was just absolutely berserk. Um, but uh, that's how I got started, uh, to say the least. And it just, uh, it just spiraled um, uh, from there. And to get into about any part of the sex industry you can, you can think of, uh, mm -hmm. I got into. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that, that's where I was going to go next is, you know, where did your um, addiction take you? And what are some examples of things that you actually did in your sex addiction? I tell people all the time, my sponsees, people I sponsor and, and work with and in, uh, in recovery with it, don't ever be afraid to tell me something that you're embarrassed of because there's, there's very few, if any, things that I haven't done um, or participated in or read about or <laughs> have heard. Um, that the sex addiction took me, but uh, there's a couple things that I didn't do. I didn't do any um, type of, you know, I didn't get paid to do it. I never pay. I was a pretty cheap sex addict, but I didn't pay for it either. Um, uh, I always was like, um, <laughs> why do I need to pay for something that I could get for free at the time? And I did, but I, 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 I did the whole gamut from sleeping with people who were in the porn industry uh, from, um, sleeping with people who are new or HIV positive and not being protected to um, putting myself into many situations that could, could have led me to be dead today or deathly or very ill. Um, so like I said, there, there's just very few things wherever the imagination can take, uh, sex parties, um, uh, <sighs> I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. It's probably easier for me to tell you the things I didn't do mm -hmm. in my sex yeah. career than it would be what no, I, I understand. Did yeah. do. Yep. <laughs> so, um, no, it's, you know, I don't, I don't so think you're making it as a badge of honor. I don't make yeah. it as a badge of honor uh, because I, I really hated myself. There were many times through that time period that I just, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to live. I didn't like looking myself in the mirror and, and and, you know, I, I, when I started off, I said, you know, my sponsor, my, my sex sponsor, so to speak, taught me, they, they taught me well enough that I was married and poor kid. And um, they never found out. And um, so, you know, that's, that's how good um, I was trained. I mean, <laughs> to hide it. Uh, and, and I could hide it the months and best. Um, so I can remember at one point, during, during the hike that I had four apps that I was using to find sex partners on my phone and, and uh, they would contact me and you know, try to hook up and, and uh, 
I remember one time one of them popped up, you know, messages. I hadn't turned the messages off on it. You know, I about got caught. It, it's just, you know, it's the insanity to think that you're going to be around four kids um, and a wife that aren't going to ever look at your phone and have something pop up that you don't want popping up at the wrong time. <laughs> For sure. Wow. Wow. Um, that's amazing. Uh, so, hey, so how did you stop and why did you stop? Well, <laughs> I think uh, it's a fallacy that I ever stopped necessarily. Um, I, I, I'm not doing those activities anymore. That's for sure. Uh, why? I got to a point where I couldn't look myself in the mirror. You know, a lot of people get into it because, you know, they, uh, they got caught. They had to. And very, very realistic for me is, you know, what by the grace of God is, is I didn't get caught. I didn't have to stop. But I got to the point where I couldn't look myself in the mirror. I didn't like the person I had become. I didn't like who I was. And I, something had to give. I was filled communication with my sex sponsor, and uh, they would... Um, you know, tell me it's okay, it's all right. And I uh, finally got into therapy. And, uh, uh, you know, my wife didn't even know I was in therapy at the time. And I was driving an hour and a half, one direction after work to go to therapy. And um, I would work with my therapist for an hour, and then I'd drive home an hour and a half. And I was doing that two nights a week. And, uh, the therapist said, well, you've got a sex addiction problem and you need to get some help and I'm going to give you some tools to do it. And um, I never will forget that day. He goes, oh, by the time I next get to the, the next uh, meeting or next session, I want you to look up uh, the S programs and find a meeting to get to. And I live out in kind of rural Missouri. There's not, I mean, everybody knows everybody and everybody's business. So. Finding a meeting wasn't going to be actually an easy thing to do. And so I came back the next time and I got, I got with my, my uh, counselor and, and uh, he was a recovering addict. So he, he can call BS pretty quick. And uh, he said, uh, did you find this meeting? I said, yeah. I said, I said, I only have one problem is, is that <laughs> like an hour and a half away from me and my wife doesn't know him. And uh, what am I supposed to do about that? And he, uh, very pointedly said to me, he said, well, you've been a damn good liar for a whole lot of years. So why don't you try and lie about something that's positive in your life? And it's going to make a difference. And um, that's when I knew that I had to, you know, the, the lying, the deceit, the hiding of my entire life had to, I had to uh, address it. It was that big a deal. And, um, so that's how I got into the program. That's how I, I finally walked into the meetings and, and uh, started working on my recovery. Wow. All right. Yeah, that's good. Um, curious, uh, Kevin, uh, how many years ago was that? And do you still have contact with your sex sponsor? <laughs> yeah, my, my, my actual recovery sponsor hates that term. And, and um, uh <laughs> I got, I was about six months into, uh, recovery and I was in a, and I was in a, um, therapy session with my therapist and 
as I told you, is an hour and a half away. And so my job allowed me to hide it um, for that long um, because I could I could say I had work and I was always having to go to the particular town for work. So um, I, I use those things to my benefit. But some things when I would do is, is when I would get done with the therapy session, I would go stay at their house. That way I you know, had to drive late and I could kind of hide it and say I had more work to do and those type things. And it's not that I was acting out with them. I wasn't, but, um, you know, uh, I had to, you know, that was a way of control. Uh, that was the way of, uh, their control over me that I didn't get someplace where I didn't need to be, where would expose them. And there are, there are things, ways of doing things. But, um, so I, I let it slip one night in therapy and I said, um, yeah, I'm, I'm heading over. I'm, I'm going to stay there. Because my spot, my uh, therapist asked me if I was going to the meeting because I had found a meeting that was right after my therapy session. And I said, "Yeah, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna go afterwards. I'm gonna go stay at X Y Z's house." <laughs> I never will forget the look they had, and they're like, "You're going where? You know, you're going to stay at their house?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And so at that point, I had to uh, cut everything off and not have any exposure. And they, and they were, they had. Ties to my entire family. They knew my mom and dad. They knew my aunt and uncles. They knew my cousins. They knew my kids. They knew my wife. And so I had to cut that off. And um, it was just a play, plain cold turkey of, um, you know, in some respects, I, I as a as a younger, I, I was pimped out by them, and for no for no better no better word. And um, so. Uh, I've been in recovery now since 2012 in October. Um, okay. I've been on a business trip and a long story to get to a very short answer. I was on a business trip and I had used a, a massage parlor back out with. And um, I, I just, I walked away from that just feeling like this, the filthiest, slimiest person. And it wasn't because any one act that I had done that was any different than I'd ever done. It's just that again, here I go again. And then uh, my brother-in-law had gotten married and I left for the wedding. So I'd kind of redone my vows with my wife at that time. And so here I was already screwing up. And so that's how I got into it. And I've been in recovery since 2012. So nine years, almost right. a 10 year. Um, All right. I think that's, um, I think that's hard to, that, that nine years too. And I'll, I'll share it. I, I know I'm just kind of rambling here on you, Derek, but, when I first got into that meeting that with my therapist that night, he says, well, I just want you to know this is about a two to five year process. And I, I can, to this day, remember looking at him and saying, you're full of shit. I'm going to be here a couple of weeks and I'm going to be done. I'm just, I'm not, I don't have two to five years to do it. And um, <laughs> nine years later, here I am. <laughs> it was nine years last month. It was October 12th or October. Yeah, October 12th was my uh, induction into, into recovery. So um, it's taken me five plus. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, so I have to ask, uh, did your wife ever find out? Uh, did you ever discuss your addiction with her? Yeah. So one of the things that I worked through, and, and I was scared to death working my steps, and I, I, I was very blessed. You know, the first, you know, I told you that my, my counselor said, go to a meeting. Find meetings. 
and came back the next session and says, okay, I want you to go to a meeting by next week. I want you to have attended at least one meeting. And so I end up going to a meeting. And the next therapy session, remember, I was going twice a week. And he says, I want you to have a sponsor by next week. I'm like, what is a sponsor? I'd never been around 12-step programs. Um, and <laughs> what's a sponsor thing going to do for me? And, but then, but, you know, God does weird things, even though we're not, we're not aware of it. God had put a sponsor in place for me and he had been in recovery since he was 19, um, in several addictions, uh, including sex. And, uh, had just been a wayward child and had been, um, you know, had basically had a degree that was in, in Harvard, <laughs> you know, just many things, but he had moved from Minnesota and from Minneapolis. And um, so we got hooked up and he worked. One of the things I was struggling with is that I kept looking at these steps and I'd have to do them. And I'd go, well, I'm not going to do step four because when I get to step four, what do we do? You know, we tell everybody everything. Uh, we work on all of our resentments and then we're supposed to, in step five, tell everybody. Well, I thought that's when I had to tell my wife, you know. <laughs> so I didn't want to get there very fast. And then we got to, then it was, oh, okay, well, I don't have to do it then. And then, you know, step eight, you know, we're going to make amends. You know, we got to write down everybody who's hurt. And you know, step nine, we got to make amends to everybody. Well, I'm not doing that. I'm going to talk to my wife. But with my therapist, with my sponsor, um, uh, it was nine months. I was nine months sober. And uh, I I uh, put together my, my disclosure to my wife. And uh, I had to ra- arrange it for um, all of... Uh, the uh, she didn't know what's going on. She knew our marriage was like crap, but she knew something had changed in me. All of a sudden, I was this different person, and she kept having people come up to her and asking her, "What you know, like what got into Kevin? You know, he's just a different person in different circles that we'd run." And uh, so we had had before I got into therapy, we had a uh, a marriage counselor that we were going to see, trying to make things work. And you know, I'm a good addict, and I. I twisted it all around to make it all about her and her, her difficulties and problems. And so I had suggested we see her. And what I had done is my therapist had gotten a hold of this therapist. And, and it was really important because my wife needed support because this was going to be a bombshell. Um, it was going to be a huge bombshell. Um, it was going to explain a lot. It was going to explain why there was no connection sometimes, especially emotionally. And how I would just push her away. You know, we'd been intimate. We had four kids and we loved them to death and we loved each other. But I would not let anybody inside that circle to know who I really am emotionally. And um, so I set it up and we met a counselor an hour away. And my counselor that I've been working with for nine months drove down. Um, and um, we had a two-hour <laughs> Therapy session. It wasn't therapy. It was Kevin divulging his indiscretions for um, 30 some years of marriage. Well, uh, 20, 20 some years of marriage at that time. So I disclosed wow. everything. Um, I didn't disclose numbers. Um, that would just been absolutely horrible. But um, I, I went through that and disclosed to her. And I just, I simply asked, I said, I think you can see I'm working really hard at this. And all I ask is that you give me a year. And one thing I'll promise you is if I, 
if I decide to get out of this and move on and continue doing this, I'm going to let you know. I'm not going to continue to hide it. I'm just going to let you know and move on. But I just ask you to give me another year to work at it before you make a decision whether to leave me. So um, it was a tough, tough talk, <laughs> tough talk. And, um, you know, she agreed. Uh, we had a lot of hard times, but, you know, nine years later, she's still with me. And, and our marriage is probably the best it's ever been. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I didn't go into this to save my marriage. I really didn't. Uh, I really went into this because I need to save my life. And, you know, uh, I never will forget the first time I walked in that first room. And the guy kind of looked at me and looked me up and down. And, and he said, you know, Kevin, you need to be here for one, one reason and one reason only. And that is to save your life and not your wife and your relationships. And so I kind of stuck to that. And that became my uh, most important thing to do. And life was recovery and to work on. Wow, wow it's a powerful, powerful story, uh, Kevin. Um, so tell me, you know, what do you recommend for anyone who thinks they may be a sex addict, uh, someone struggling with sexual addiction? Like, do you have any sober tips to share? First, be honest. Yeah. Be honest with yourself. That's the first and foremost. Um, uh, you know, get uh, a simple thing if you're scared. Um, I tried counseling a couple times, and uh, one of the things that I broached was the sexual abuse, and I didn't get into the sexual addiction because I really didn't know I had that. I really got into it because of my abuse. Um, because I didn't know what that was, I didn't know what sexual addiction was. But the simple thing is just to take the test. You know, you can go on the you can go on the S Fellowship's website and you can you can take a test and that was really quick. I flunked it. I mean, probably one of the only tests I ever aced in my life. And uh, I think there was like two questions. I had never been arrested. Um, <laughs> there's like two questions that that I uh, that I made it through um, that didn't answer yes to. So you take the test. Number one, it'll kind of give you a better idea whether you are or not. And then, you know, I find a local group, get yourself plugged in. And, um, you know, I wasn't a very big sex addict. And so I went to about four or five meetings and then I kind of caught this disease that everybody else had in there. And uh, I got sicker and sicker as I went. But um, so first off, be honest, take the test, find out. Um, you probably have a good idea already if you're listening to this or if you're you're looking up things, uh, you probably already know. But that'll just kind of give you some confirmation. Uh, for me, therapy was very important. And that's not, you know, uh, the big book doesn't really encourage that totally, but uh, it was very important for me. I had to work through some things that my sponsor couldn't, you know, even though he is extremely awesome, there's some things that I had to work through to help me get where I'm at today. Um, and then, uh, uh, as, as we say in the program all the time, get yourself a sponsor that, uh, has what you want and, uh, work with them and, uh, attend meetings and, uh, try, try to be the person that you, you wish you were to begin with. But, um, 
it's the, the big thing is, is to be honest. Like I said, I tried many times and I wasn't honest with myself. I wasn't, I, there wasn't even my therapist. I wasn't honest. It was, I was wasting a whole lot of money. <laughs> I couldn't be honest with them. So they're trying to cure something and help me out through something that I wasn't even sharing honestly about. You know, I'd lie just to make it sound better. <laughs> I can relate. I can relate. Um, so this is one more question I have for you. Uh, can you talk a bit about the daily struggles of living with the awareness that you're a sexaholic and how it affects your life today, even though you're sober? It's <clears throat> a really good question. Um, I think the easiest way to explain that is, is that I wake up every day and I have a choice. I have a choice that I can go down this path or I can have a choice that I can remain sober. And I get that choice. And it was something that I had to, to work on very early in recovery. It was because it was hard for me to understand. It was hard to, it was hard to uh, understand, you know, I, if I masturbated, you know, once a day, I mean, that was, you know, that was okay. And, and my addiction had formulated so much that I really give a rat's for in whether I masturbated or whether I looked at pornography because I wanted that fix of being with somebody. I wanted to have sex with somebody. Um, the other thing was just kind of tied over until I do that. So, um, uh, so it's, it's every day I have to wake up. So I had to understand that I had the choice because sometimes it's kind of like growing up when, you know, mom and dad would tell me, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Because if you do, you're going to, you know, you're going to hell. You know, you're not, you're going to do these things. Well, as soon as I get freedom to do what do I want to do, you know, that's exactly one of my, my <laughs> thought processes. But, well, this must be really good candy. Come on, try it. You know, it may make me sick, but it tastes really good. And I'm going to go try it and do it. And um, so I, I have to. So in early in recovery, it was really hard to say that I can never masturbate again. I can never look at porn again. I really didn't care at that time. Um, or I'm never going to have sex outside my marriage. Um, but for me, every day I have to understand that I have a choice. If today I want to go out and do it, I can go do that. I can. I won't be sober, but I have that choice to do. I get, I get a choice. It's not something that I cannot do. And um, I can't do it if I want to have the life I'm having. And that's, that is an understanding that I had to get to. I had to understand that um, I have free will. And I can do that. Now, it's not on willpower alone that I have to do it. There's a whole lot of other steps that I have to do it because I can become overwhelmed. Just as my uh, drug of choice of how I dealt with life was through sex and to deal with pain, to deal with injuries, to deal with um, uh, feelings, to deal with um, disappointments, excitement. That's how I dealt with it. That's how I soothed everything. And um, the other thing is, is that I had to find different ways to deal with it. Um, one of the S fellowships talks about circles and they have to fill out all these circles, things, objects that you want to fit, you know, objects you don't want to work on or don't want to do anymore, object, or uh, things that you do that if you do, you're going to get into those circles that you don't want to. And then there's an added circle of things that are healthy things for you to do. And I had a really hard time filling that outer circle because I had not, I didn't have anything that I really enjoyed doing because to be honest with my career was about sex. 
It was about having sex with other people, um, etc. And I, I really struggled. And um, I, I used to race bicycles uh, every weekend. Um, I was on the same racing team as my sex sponsor. <laughs> and we would travel all over the place. And uh, then I'd get ticked off because I wasn't very competitive. Um, or I'd have a bad night. Well, when you're out having two or three sexual partners and then until two or three at night and you're going to do a, a competitive race, you really think you're going to be very good with three or four hours of sleep and poor nutrition, et cetera. It's just not going to happen. So I had kind of lost these some things that were positive to me as being, you know, things that I like to do. Um, I didn't have those. And so I've had to rebuild those. And that's, that's been really important to me is rebuilding those things that I can do that are, that are healthy for me. I don't, didn't like to read. Um, it comes back to my childhood and having ADHD and I couldn't concentrate and would couldn't comprehend what I did read. So, um, I think I rambled on really long without any answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's wonderful, man. I really, uh, you know, any final thoughts or anything uh, related to your addiction or anything that you want to share before we wrap up? You know, I think, the, I, I think meeting, the meetings are good. Um, you know, <laughs> I'll just share this, you know, we did nine, you know, people talk about new 90 meetings in 90 days and I, and I found the phone meetings and, you know, uh, I, I, I don't think it's mean, got to meet a lot of good people around the country and across the, uh, the globe through that. And, uh, <laughs> My first year, I ended up doing like, I don't know, it was like almost 400 meetings in person and in phone. And, and so um, I just really had to, you know, engulf myself, immerse myself in, into those and, and really um, indoctrinate myself into a new way of living. And um, uh, the other thing is, is I, I, I want to give everybody a sense of hope that it is, uh, it's you don't have to feel like a piece of junk. You know, you don't have to feel like a crap that after on the other side, um, nine years later, what do I have? I have a wife that loves me more than ever. And I love her. I have my kids still. I have my had my career. Um, I, I'm in a different place spiritually than I ever was before. Um, I actually have people that I can actually talk to and they can understand when I say this or that, and they can identify and can empathize and tell me that they have the same issues and struggles. And I don't have to feel isolated alone uh, as a, as, the white book says, you know, I stayed and prayed, you know, and, um, so, um, it's all doom and gloom and there is hope. And the, the other side is a much better picture and a much better thing for all involved. And so if you are struggling, I would encourage you to get help. And, um, you know, I, I'm not gonna say it's easy. I mean, there's, it's hard work. It's a, it's a very easy program. It's a very easy program. It takes a lot of hard work, but if you do it, it's worth it. And, uh, as we say in the meetings, 
and you're worth it. <laughs> so, um, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate the message of hope. I think, uh, I mean, what, a, what an amazing story. You know, I mean, as you know, we're here to help um, other addicts and uh, help them to find recovery so that they can have hope too, right? And live the lives they were meant to live. Um, so I just want to say, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. And again, this is uh, the Recovering CEO podcast for sex addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, how it impacts people's lives. And uh, keep coming back, keep listening. Have a great day, everybody. You thought that you could have it all And life could be a ball But you fell and scabbed your knee Now you can